This is the SBI Show. Hello, everybody. I'm Ivan Scalarsip, and it is Tuesday morning. We are a day away from U.S. men's national team taking on Honduras. And it's two days after a rather disappointing 2-0 defeat to Canada. The battle of the top two teams in CONCACAF went to the Canadians. And, uh, you know, U.S. fans have a reason to be upset, unhappy, and a little worried. Because it was just not a great performance. As much as uh, Greg Berhalter apparently loved it, he thought it was amazing. Or, eh, I shouldn't say amazing, but he said his team dominated. And... That was uh, that's a little gracious on his part. It's a little uh, generous, to say the least. But we'll get into that. We'll talk U.S. Canada. We'll definitely dig into U.S. Honduras. Touch on a few other things. It's early, early Tuesday morning, and I'm getting ready to head to the Great White North, heading to Minnesota. I don't even want to think about how cold it's going to be. I was not in Hamilton for the U.S.-Canada game, unfortunately. I was in studio with CBS Sports, uh, our coverage of the U.S.-Canada game, in case you missed it. Highlighted by the news that Clint Dempsey has been not... The news that Clint Dempsey has been chosen to be in the Hall of Fame. And let's face it, we knew that was going to happen, but here we are. Congratulations to Clint, also Shannon Box, and Hope Solo. We'll get into that a little bit later. We'll save that for the end of the show, but we obviously have to dig right in. Talk U.S. men's national team. I need to crank an episode out before I head to the airport. And uh, the coffee's brewed. The long johns are packed. The thermal socks are packed. Ready for that trip to Minnesota. But first, we have to recap U.S., Canada, and... 2-0. Another 2-0. US, all of a sudden, Canada is is starting to take take hold of the, two, the dos a cero instead of dos a cero. It's 2-0, eh? Right? I think that's what some Canadians are saying. But look, Canadians, they have the bragging rights now. They can say what they want. They won the game. No, it was not luck by any means. It was a good game plan by Canada. It was good finishing by Canada. Good goalkeeping by Canada. Good defending by Canada. And unfortunately for the U.S., they had bad all of those things. They had bad finishing, or, or they didn't create many chances. I mean, they had one great chance, Weston McKinney. Shot saved. Excellent save by Milan Borjan. But just the attack again, sputtering. And, uh, you know, it, before we get to that, Greg Berhalter, after the match... You know, I was curious. I'm always curious to see how coaches react to, to results and act to act, react to performances. And uh, he, I, I was like, "What match did this guy watch? What ma-? like Greg? Greg? What? What? Uh, he for those who missed it, he came out and he, uh, you know, he, he praised his team. It's exactly what I wanted. They do- we dominated the match. And I'm just thinking to myself, has Greg Berhalter fallen into the trap? Of the being the coach whose team gives up the early goal and uh, is basically led along on a leash by that goal, 
into a loss. And, uh, and, and they rest their hat on, on stats that don't mean anything. Here's a newsflash. When you give up an early goal, chances are you're going to uh, end up with more possession. Potentially more opportunities, even though if, even if though there probably aren't great opportunities. But you're going to have an edge in some of those stats because the other team has the goal in their pocket. Much more so when it's a Canada team that clearly, even before the, the Kyle Aaron goal, they were coming in for the defended counter. And why shouldn't they? As deadly as their attackers are, they can afford to keep a well-structured defense, organized defense, and ping balls on the counter when they get the opportunities. Because guess what? Their guys are going to finish. Their guys can get into space and wreak havoc. And that's what we saw seven minutes into the match. That early goal changed everything. And and it changed it because it really put Canada in the driver's seat to do what they wanted to do. And the thing is, for me, you cannot sit here as a coach and say that your team dominated a game when your opponent let you, that your opponent was perfectly happy for you to do what you did. Canada was perfectly happy for you to have the ball in the middle third where you were no threat. They were perfectly happy to watch you uh, try and fail repeatedly to put, put combinations together, dangerous combinations together. There just weren't any. The best chance of the match came on a, on a set piece, on a corner kick. Where was the combination play? Where were the real chances? There just weren't many. And you can say, oh, well, look, Canada didn't have many chances either. You know, here's the thing. They got the goal early. Once you have that in your hand, once you have that goal, you are no longer, at that point, it's not on you. The pressure is not on you because you are in control. You have that goal. And I get it, right? Wes McKinney scores that header, things change. Yes, I get that. But when it boils down to it, at one point, did anyone, did any, anyone listening to this show, I want, I want you to tell me in the comment section, did anyone watch this, sh- this game? And sit there and say, wow, the U.S. is playing great. The U.S. looks amazing. The U.S. is playing Canada off the park. Did anyone feel that at any point? I know I didn't. I know the the, the crew, CBS Sports crew, didn't. I was in the studio with them watching. And whether it was Clint Dempsey, Gucci Nyewu, Charlie Davies, I didn't hear anyone just gushing about this U.S. team and their performance. Which is why I was just scratching my head to hear Greg Berhalter. And here's what it comes down to, right? This U.S. team is a young team. Young, impressionable team learning on the fly how to deal with CONCACAF, how to deal with qualifying. First go round. They have games under their belt. Fine. So, I mean, I can understand if Greg Berhalter feels like he needs to say the right things, keep it positive, uh, you know, positive reinforcement, right? I get that. That's important. A young team, you don't want to get down on them. Um, I can I can understand doing that in the locker room, right? You're in the locker room, you say, listen, boys, you, you did what I asked. We were unlucky. We created chances. We had more of the ball. Um, 
But to come in out in public and then just be like, yeah, oh, this was great. We do, we dominated. He used the word dominant. He used the word dominate, dominating, domination, variations of the word dominate multiple times in this in his post match press conference. And I'm just like, wow. And I, I was trying to remember that, and I could be wrong here, but I I feel like the last time I I saw someone like I saw a coach kind of just have a recollection of a game so different from what it felt like was Jurgen Klinsman. And I don't think, I don't know anyone, any coach wants to be in that, in that, uh, you don't want to be in that category. I mean, that was, I mean that I recall Jurgen Klinsman kind of being that kind of, you know, yeah, we did what we wanted. I know we lost, but you know, we did, you know, we did what we wanted to do. Like, no, listen, here's what it comes down to. You get, if you lose, and it's not on some, you know, like a, you know, BS penalty or uh, questionable VAR. Like, no, there was none of that. You lost flat out. Your team gave up that first goal. Your team gave up that second goal. Your team did not create chances. Your team didn't finish chances. It's on you. So if a loss is on you, you cannot sit there and then praise your team as, oh, we did, hey, look, we did exactly what I wanted to do. If that's what you wanted, then you, we have a problem. The U.S. has a problem if that's what you wanted. Like, and look, we're getting into semantics a little bit here, right? You know what? I get it. Like, it's. I'm sure maybe if Greg Barhall tried to do it again, maybe he'd choose his words a little differently. Hopefully. But here's what it comes down to. This U.S. performance was not good enough. It wasn't in any stretch. I don't want to hear about possession. I don't want to hear about expected goals. Greg Barhall and expected goals, the difference in expected goals wasn't, wasn't that much different between the two. Greg Berhalter pointed out to duels. He was happy with his team, how they fought. And it's like, um, actually, Canada won the duels. They had more of the duels. It was close. It was very close. But Canada had the slight edge in duels won. And any, and for me, anyone that watched this game as a neutral or anyone that watched this game not completely all the way in for the U.S., maybe you would see it in a certain way where you thought, okay, the U.S. was just dominant. They had all the play, blah, blah, blah. Okay, fine. But I can tell you one thing. One team fought much harder. One team showed more bite. One team looked tougher. One team looked like they were they were coming in with no fear. They were coming in to make it a fight. And that was Canada. Canada came in to make it a fight. And I and I made a point on Twitter. You know, some Canadians took a, it's a little umbrage to it. But look, this is my perception. I've been around for 20 plus years covering CONCACAF. And for me, there was a time when Can- when Canada was considered a little soft or, or you know, they, they weren't considered a tough team. They didn't have that uh, reputation. A little bit of a soft team. And and it bore out in results. It bore out, it bore out in how they responded in really tough situations um, multiple times against Honduras, for example, you know, you go into must win games, you're ready to go. You, if you, if you got to get a result and then they lay eggs, this has happened in the past. This happened in years past for, for Canada. We're obviously in a new era with Canada. This is not, this is not your dad's Canada team. This is not your uncle's Canada team. This is a new Canada team. And not only do they have much more talent, not only do they have elite level best in CONCACAF type talent in certain areas, they have an edge. They have a fight. They have an attitude, a swagger. 
And I'll give John Herdman credit for that. I'll, you know, you give the players credit. Obviously, this is a different kind of team. They have a different mentality now. But John Herdman deserves a lot of credit for that, for where this Canada team is. And, you know, for all the things you can say about, okay, Canada and the U.S. and where the teams are right now, Canada Canada's ahead of the U.S. right now in terms of their development of the of the system of buying into the coaches project and also just it, like you just look like it looks like a more mature team is it a more talented team top to bottom i wouldn't say that in the last episode i said it last episode and i'm standing by it the us has more talent in their pool in their player pool flat out yes canada has some impressive elite players at the top end when you talk about De- Alfonso Davies, Jonathan David, Kyle Aaron, you can put him in there. Tajon Buchanan, even though, you know, hey, Serginio does did a good job on him in this game. But it's not just about that elite talent. There, there's really kind of an added, a, a collective confidence, a collective attitude. And part of that has been honed by all these games that Canada has been able to play in World Cup qualifying because obviously they needed more games to qualify. They had to go through a whole round of games at the beginning of 2021. That helped them. But it's not just to say, okay, they had more games, so that you know, luck, they got lucky they had more games. No. John Herdman took advantage of that. John Herdman used that to help build something, to help his team understand and buy in um, and it, and he used it to help figure out the players that could do what he wants. So when you look at this U.S. Canada game, right, coming into the match, if I had, if I had told you, Kamal Miller will be significantly better than Miles Robinson on the day, who would have thought that? Who would have took taken that bet? Mind you, fast fact: Kamal Miller and Miles Robinson were teammates in college. They were teammates at Syracuse. And Miles Robinson was always the the significantly higher rated prospect. But credit to Kamal Miller, I got to say, for me, I would argue man of the match. He had a hand in both goals. Directly, the first goal, he it was he won the header that started the counter. Second goal, he sent the long ball that started the sequence. And then on top of that, he made play after play defensively. The U.S. The U.S. tried to go at him. The U.S. tried to test him. He he stood up to the challenge every single time. And you give Kamal Miller credit for that, and you give John Herdman credit for that because John Herdman put him in that position. John Herdman has brought him along, uh, given him that confidence. Same with Alistair Johnston. Alistair Johnston is a second year pro, I believe. Maybe I'm wrong on the stats, but he is a relatively young pro. And in a year, he's been developed into this just rock solid defender. So Kamal Miller thoroughly outplayed Miles Robinson. And and it felt a little it felt a little like the clock struck 12 on the Cinderella stories that were Miles Robinson and Matt Turner. And and before anyone goes crazy, no, it's this isn't to say they are no longer good. Definitely, definitely not saying that. Matt Turner's great. Miles Robinson's great. But guess what? This was the first time for both these players where they had some adversity, where they had just flat-out bad games. There's no way around it. Matt Turner had to do better on that play on the first goal. Obviously, it was not a great kick. Obviously, you're dealing with the elements and the wind. I get that. You got to do better there. And Miles Robinson... Looked like a player who hadn't played in months. 
He did not look like the dominant, untouchable, unbeatable center back that we saw for months, the, the second half of 2021, that we saw in the Gold Cup, that we saw in the first part of the octagonal. He looked nothing like that. He was he was basic he was involved in both goals. He was beaten in bo- on both goals. Can't do much worse than that. And on that one, you can chalk that up a little. To uh, it's unfortunate that Walker Zimmerman uh, her uh, tweaked his hamstring, injured his hamstring the day before. He would have started. Now we don't know if Miles Robinson or Chris Richards would have started next to him. I think Chris Richards would have started because he's in form. Miles Robinson out of season and clearly not sharp. So that one, you, I can't. You can't put that one on Berhalter. That one you just got to put on Miles Robinson and bad luck with the hamstring. What you can put on Berhalter is his decision to start Jassy's artist at striker. And I get it. I get why he did it. Right. I get it that he Zardis, he trusts Zardis. Zardis has stepped up for him before. He knows the system. He's been in these games, these type of games before. We knew it was going to be a dogfight, narrow field, hard field, ugly game. You bring in a veteran like Zardis, right? I get the logic. But it didn't work. It did not work. And I, you know what? And I, surprise, surprise, Berhalter after the match, he praised Zardis. He did what he asked of him. He put in the work. He put in the defensive work. That's all well and good. But guess what? He was a non-factor as an attacker. Non-factor. And I know you can say service. But it's not just about service. It's about putting yourself in positions. And far too many times in sequences in that game, Zardis did not get into the positions he needed to get into. Whether it was reading the plays late, whether it was just not being quick enough, he just didn't put himself in good positions in attacking sequences. And you need to do that. And it just, when you have a Ricardo Pepe, and again, Ricardo Pepe is not a sure thing game to game. He's still young. None of us are, I would imagine most of us who are, most of you who are listening to this show are not at trainings. You're not at U.S. trainings. You don't know what kind of form he's in. Obviously, the fact that he doesn't start either of these first two qualifiers tells us, sums up, is he just not in good form? Does he not look sharp? And then Pepe came into the match and didn't look great. But as much as he didn't look 100% sharp, he didn't look like the Pepe that we saw in the last year, he still made some things happen, or he still at least put himself into some promising positions. And and we saw that in whatever, however 20-plus minutes that he had, more than we saw from Zardes in the, in the 60 minutes. I think credit to Zardes, he had one ball that he put into play that did lead to a, a, a potential opportunity for the U.S. That one moment, for me, that was it. That was the only attacking contribution that he had. But Ricardo Pepe, you know, I, I thought it was interesting after the match, Berhalter talking about Pepe's young, you know, he need, he needs experience. But yes, well, he put he gets experience by putting him in these type of games. Now, I don't know, does, is, is Pepe... Can he not handle the cold? Like, I don't know what's going on with Pepe. I don't know. I don't understand why he hasn't started either of these two matches. Only the coaching staff knows for sure. And obviously, Berhalter wasn't going to come out and flat out say, you know, Pepe's just not look, look looking good. Like, he's not going to say that, but you can kind of infer that by the decisions. But guess what? You're going to need him now. You have to start Ricardo Pepe. Against Honduras. That's not even a question. The same team that he tore apart in September. Obviously, you have to start him. If he's healthy, you start Ricardo Pepe. I don't care what 
about Zardis' experience. Uh, I don't care about Jesus Ferreira and the promise that he showed in the first game and the, you know, the fact that, yes, he can combine well with teammates and play that false nine role. I get that. I get all that. But no, Ricardo Pepe is in your lineup. Put five layers of, of long johns and thermal on the kid. Play him at striker. Let him figure it out. Ride or die with this kid. He has shown enough in past games that it's time to give him this opportunity. And I think that, I mean, I think that's going to happen. So I'm not sitting here saying like, oh, like <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I don't think I'm telling Berhalter something he doesn't already know. I think he knows he's got to give Pepe this opportunity. And I think he will. But uh, just wrapping up in terms of that Canada game, I mean, I, I look, give Canada credit. Let's give Canada some credit. And I didn't think Berhalter gave them. He he tried to give them some credit, but it was you know there was some backhanded compliments. There it was some faint praise. He wasn't going to just come right out like he tried to. But some of the things that he said, I'm like I know if I'm Canada, if I'm John Herdman, and I'm I'm his players, and I'm listening to Berhalter's comments. It didn't feel like a full uh, accounting, a, a full amount of respect that they deserved because they deserved it. And I know some U.S. fans are like, oh, you know, it was an ugly game. They made it ugly. The referee. But listen, folks, if you sit here and you watch that game and your takeaway or one of your main takeaways from this game is that the referee cost the U.S. this game, you need to come up for some air. You need to take off the U.S. colored glasses. It was not the referee. And I know that's easy because, look, the referee, you know, Mexican referee, oh, no, Mexican, the Mexican ref's going to call the game against the American. Like, no, no, it wasn't that at all. Did he let some things go? Yes. Were there some plays that he he didn't call correctly? Yes. Could he have given a second yellow to Steven Vittoria for, for the – a second yellow? There was clearly a situation there where he could have given a second yellow? Absolutely. But none of these things were the blatant miscalls, VAR overturns that shouldn't have happened, or VAR reviews that should have happened. Like, no. The team that deserved to win won. Deal with it. Accept it and give Canada their praise and credit because they are much closer to the finished product than the U.S. is. And that's the, that's the reality. The U.S.'s golden generation is still po- being polished. And it's far from being, it's, we're far from seeing the finished product. It's so far. And it's unfortunate. Because guess what? Now you're feeling a little pressure. Now you're going into this game against Honduras knowing you need a win. And I, I, on Twitter, I, I mentioned on Monday night, I, I called, you know, I called, I was, you know, I threw up a tweet about something and I mentioned that, you know, this is a must win. And if you want to argue literal, if you want to get literal in the sense that, no, they will not be eliminated if they lose this game. No. So from a literal sense, no, it is not a must win. They will not be eliminated with a loss. But you lose this game. Heck, you even tie this game. All of a sudden, you are putting yourself in position to potentially fall out of the top three. Because guess what? Now, Panama, with their their latest win, Panama is only one point behind the U.S. Panama is one point behind the U.S. And yes, they play Mexico. And uh, because of that, you can't both Mexico and Panama cannot leapfrog the U.S., right? So from that standpoint, technically speaking, the U.S. should be in the top three. They, they will be in the top three. Uh, no matter what happens in these other matches, they will still be technically in the top three. But with a loss 
or a tie, you head into the last three matches in March with no margin for error, and you're going to play in two venues or you play uh, two trips. You're taking two road trips to places you have never won a qualifier. You've never won a qualifier in Mexico. The U.S. has never won a qualifier in Mexico. The U.S. has never won a qualifier in Costa Rica. Do you really want to go into March needing points badly with those two games looming? And, mind you, the one home game, you feel good. Yeah, home game. You're undefeated at home. Yes, yeah, but guess what? You're playing Panama. The you know the people will say Canada is the surprise of this this round. No, folks, Canada is not the surprise. I mean, they're they they're exceeding expectations. Yes, but like for, like for me, I, I I saw them qualifying before this began. For me, the real surprise is Panama. I thought like credit Christensen, the coach, has done an amazing job. John Herdman, you can say is yes, as far as coaches go, John Herdman has been unbelievable what he's done but in terms of for me like coach of the octagonal i gotta say it's christensen because i did i can't imagine many people that had panama in the top four that would have had panama one point behind the u.s and mexico 10 matches in one point that's crazy but again christensen another coach who has helped his team buy in and has had his team really come together as a as a collective and and play above its talent. That's what you want a coach to do. And that's what Christensen's done. That's what John Herdman is doing. And that's what Greg Berhalter has not done yet. Greg Berhalter, obviously, had, had, there were a lot of challenges to this project. When you're talking about a young team, you're bringing a young team together. Yes, tons of talent, but still, an experienced group. You didn't have much veteran experience to, to, to build around. So, yes, I get all that from the challenges standpoint, but at the end of the day, Berhalter still has not helped it come together yet. And you can argue, oh, well, you know, from a you know, long-term state, he's planting the seeds. Uh, it, 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 you know, the proof will be in Qatar. The proof will be later. Yeah, okay, fine. But we're talking right now, in terms of right now, evaluating, evaluating a coach right now in, term, uh, in terms of qualifying, I don't know how, you know, you look at, if you're having a coach of the year race, he's not winning it. He's not, he's not first. He's not second. He's, you can say he's third. You can say he's third because Tata is definitely not third. Tata Martino is not, uh, no one's giving him any credit for what he's done so far. Heck, you know what? I would say Hugo Perez is third. He, uh, El Salvador currently six. No, they're probably not going to qualify. Unlikely that El Salvador qualifies, but no one can tell me that Hugo Perez isn't getting everything he can out of that El Salvador team. So, top three coaches in Concacaf octagonal so far. Heard well, I would say Chris, Thomas Christensen one, John Herdman two, Hugo Perez three, then Greg Berhalter four, middle of the pack. So, I mean. And that, that's the issue. That's the issue with this U.S. team right now is that they haven't figured it out. And I know there's all these challenges. Christian Pulisic missing missing a ton of time in, in the fall. Gio Reyna's been out since September. I get all that. Zach Steffen's back spasms. Sure. But they need to figure this out ASAP. They need to win against Honduras. No question about it. There's no, there's no, it, they have to. You lose this game. Holy crap. You got to go to Mexico? Woo! 
As much as Mexico's look, Mexico's not in great shape either, right? Let's be clear. Mexico's not in great shape. They're struggling. They just tied they just tied Costa Rica at home. Uh, barely beat Jamaica. Barely beat it. They had to come back with two late goals to beat a 10-man Jamaica. And as much as you're like, oh, win, it, it, all that matters is the three points. Yes, fine. But they look terrible. They did not look great until, obviously, the last 10 minutes against the Jamaica team that was holding on and was down to 10 men but mexico like is that you know as much as the u.s has been disappointing at least you like i think the u.s at least has had a lot of good second halves as much as a lot of the first halves have been forgettable but mexico is a mess and not to dis- not to deflect and get into mexico's issues because we're not here to talk about mexico's issues we're here to talk about the u.s and the u.s needs to win and uh, i'm here to tell you Folks, if you're still listening, if you're, if you're sitting here and you're kind of worried and you're heading into this Honduras match, like, oh, my Lord, what happens if we lose this game? I will say this. The U.S. is going to win this game. I am supremely confident the U.S. is going to win this game. But the thing is, for me, it's not even about this game right now. Yes, they need to win. And and, and yes, uh, you can't take things for granted. We should have learned that from Trinidad, from Cuba in 2017. I get it, folks. I was there. I know. But looking at it, everything that's on the table right now, heading into this match and knowing where Honduras is in terms of their, their situation and qualifying, they are lame duck. It's over for them. They just lost against El Salvador after losing to Canada. Now they have to pick themselves up and get on a plane and go travel to a, a place where it's minus 10 degrees. Like, it's not a great situation for Honduras. And as much as, yes, you could say, oh, you know what? They're going to play spoiler They're gonna or they're going to want to play spoiler. They're professionals. They'll put in a performance. I get that. But I just think the U.S., from a talent standpoint, they're going to win. But for me, the question is, can they finally put together a complete performance? We have not seen that yet in the octagonal. We have not seen a beginning-to-end complete performance. The best game they've had so far is the is the win against Mexico. And in the win against Mexico in, in uh, Cincinnati, they did not score a goal in the first half. So even that, you could argue, uh, was it a complete performance? Not, not really. So this is what we want to, I think most U.S. fans want to see, a complete performance, a a performance that matches up with the talent that this team has. And we just haven't seen that. We haven't seen a 90-minute performance from this team. And I don't want to hear about possession. I don't want to hear about control. I want to hear about goals, finishing, serious, legitimate chances created. And excellent defending and at least some semblance of an understanding of a, the team that the team under like that you get a feel that this team has a connection and that's been missing for me. I mean, we've seen we've seen flashes, right? I remember the second half against Honduras, right? They they rally from one down, one zero down. They score four in the second half, amazing. Mexico second half, amazing. Score two goals, dos a zero once again. There have been these great moments, yes. But we haven't seen the complete product yet. And I get it. It's a young team. But is it a lot to ask that in 10 games you can't have one complete performance? Especially when you see a Canada team putting together. And look, I will say this. It's easy to be overlooked. Canada hasn't had many complete performances either. They've actually you know, had a lot of games. Four matches where Canada's given up the first goal. So it hasn't been all cookies and ice cream for Canada either. But 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 with Canada, you feel like they they are coming together, or they have come together, in a way that the U.S. just hasn't. So this game, this Honduras game, for me is is as much about that 
is is about having the opportunity for a team to come together and put together a full ninety minutes. Then it is about the obviously obviously it's about the win. Obviously it's about the three points. But we'll see. We'll see what Greg Berhalter does. There's some challenges. Tyler Adams is out. Chris Richards is out, both injured. And Kellen Acosta, you'd, you would imagine, is going to step in for Adams. And Walker Zimmerman, by all accounts, as of right now, knock on wood, should be back and available. And if Walker Zimmerman, Walker Zimmerman is not back and available, then you're looking at a Mark McKenzie, Miles Robinson center back tandem. And uh, the one thing I would say with Honduras, as much as you know, you can say they're a lame duck, they, they, they have nothing to play for now. They're in the dumps. Now they have to complain this ridiculous cold weather that they're just, you know, they none of them or 99% of their team is un, is not used to playing in. They still have dangerous players. They still have Albert Elise. They still have Romel Kyoto. They still have players who, if you make a mistake, will punish you. And Bolio Gomez, uh, he rested some of these guys in the El Salvador game. Albert Elise and Romel Kyoto did not start against El Salvador. They're going to start against the U.S., I'd imagine. And as much as it's a lost cause for Honduras in qualifying, you got to think they would love nothing more than to, to than to knock the Americans off or even give them a draw because a draw would not be great for the U.S., to be clear. So some of the questions for me as, as I look to wrap this up, uh, you know, a couple more minutes to go here. One question I have, is it time to sit Christian Pulisic? He started first two matches. Two really just frustrating matches. And he's created some things. He's had he's had key passes. He, I believe he had the corner kick on Weston McKinney's uh, near would-be goal that was, you know, denied. But is it time to sit him? Because it just hasn't clicked for him and his teammates. And the, look, I get it. The effort is there. Greg Berhalter always makes the point to say, listen, the effort is there. He gives his all. It's all well and good for him to fight and and for and for him to 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 put the hard work in. But you know what, you, Christian Pulisic, you have him there. He is he's there to deliver attacking quality. He's there to produce results in the attack, and he just hasn't. He just hasn't. It's been non-existent, virtually. And obviously, you know when you. The other players you can put in aren't as talented, first things first. But at a certain point, you have to ask yourself, are, like, are we, is it time to shake things up? Is it time to consider him as the guy you bring off the bench to change a game? And, in that, and he's, he has started two straight games now. He was, he was taken out early uh, in, the, in the game on uh, last week against El Salvador. So he hasn't played two full 90s. So I can see him starting this game. But he played the full 90 against Canada, and I have to—I can't help but wonder if the fact that he was that he did play the whole 90 and that Brendan Aronson came out early in that game, could we see Aronson on the left, Tim Weah on the right? And I know some people are going to say, well, that's crazy. Pulisic is your, is your best attacking player. You keep him in, ride him till the wheels fall off. I get that. I can understand that completely. But I have to. I, I, I'm curious if that's a possibility for Berhalter to actually sit Pulisic. It's a gutsy one. I, I I don't think it'll happen. I'll say that. I don't think it. I don't think it's going to happen. But I think it's worth asking the question. 
Because I don't know anyone who can have I don't know anyone who will have watched these last two games and say, "Oh, Pulisic is in a good way." He's not. He's not in good form. Not even close. And obviously, part of that is the situation going on at Chelsea, and him not just he's just not getting the consistent playing time. He's being played in multiple different positions that he doesn't like to play in. You wonder what his future is in Chelsea. And now he comes to, into the U.S. camp and he's just been off. He's just not been himself. So for me, like, it, obviously I'm not the coach, but I would at least think about Brendan Aronson on the left and Tim Weah or Jordan Morris or Paul Ariola on the right. And Paul Ariola made some things happen. He came off the bench. He had the bicycle kick that, get, you know what, <laughs> it's a few feet to the left, but still it was, you know, it was an opportunity. Jordan Morris, I thought, made some he, – he put himself in some good spots. Teammates just didn't see him. They just didn't – the connections weren't there. But I see the intelligence in Morris and in, in, in the positions that he put himself puts himself in. And obviously he's been out of action. He hasn't played – like he hasn't played much in, in a long time. I get all that. But he's been in a lot of games. He's been in a lot of these kind of big games before. So, you know, I would at least think about that. But we'll see. We'll see what, what Greg Berhalter does. And, and yeah, it's, it's not going to be easy. There's going to be some challenges, obviously, with this lineup. But I don't care what lineup Berhalter puts out there. They should beat Honduras. And, and sorry, Honduras, no disrespect. But we've seen in the octagonal what this team is about. Honduras, The Honduras defense is terrible. Absolutely terrible. There's no excuse for the U.S. not to score two goals minimum. Minimum. I don't care if Ricardo Pepe starts, Jesus Ferreira starts. I don't care who starts as striker. If you don't put two goals minimum on this Honduras team, you're, you should be embarrassed. Point blank. Embarrassed. So we'll see. We'll see what lineup uh, Greg Berhalter puts out there. But, I, you know, I know it's, it's not going to give much consolation or comfort to say, look, the U.S. is going to beat this team. But I'm here to tell you, I think it's going to happen. But for me, it's 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 as much about showing us that they can really that they can really come together and put together a 90 minutes. That's what I that's what I think everyone wants to see from this team. So we'll see. We'll see if they can pull it off. Obviously, things are getting tight in Concacaf, and uh, we're going to wrap things up here now. Uh, I, I was going to get into a few different things. How about Austin Trusty going to Arsenal? Who saw that one coming? George Bello going to Armenia Bielefeld. Obviously, some big moves for Americans abroad or for Americans now joining the ever-growing Americans abroad contingent. Some big moves there. I know some people were going from, like, what? Austin Trusty to Arsenal? What in the heck? For those who aren't that familiar with Austin Trusty, I think he's a very talented left-footed central defender. Excellent skill. I know there was like no transition there going from the men's national team to talking about Austin Trusty, but here we go. I'm wrapping it up. I don't want to miss my flight. But Austin Trusty, I, I like that move for Arsenal and for the Cronky Sports Group. Look, for those who don't know, the same owner owns Arsenal and the Rapids. So if you're if you see the opportunity for a talented left footed center back, good size, athleticism, you know, excellent passer. You, you you make that move, give him that opportunity, and Colorado, the the Rapids, you know, obviously are going to get some allocation money out of it, some transfer money. So it's a very low risk, high reward uh, possibility for Arsenal, and a great opportunity for Trusty George Bello to Armenia Bielefeld. I'm not as sold on that one, just because Bielefeld, obviously, you just wonder in terms of like, you know, are they going to stay in the Bundesliga? Um, I think there was. I don't know. For me, George Bello, some of these fullback moves, uh, it, I think it is interesting that so many fullbacks are now leaving when you talk about uh, 
Kevin Paredes, uh, Justin Che, George Bello, a lot of a lot of moves being made, and, and some of these you just kind of say to yourself, well, you know, are they really ready, or are we going to have some situations kind of like Brian Reynolds, where you know he has a good half season, excellent prospect, but then he goes over, and then he's in a situation where he can't get on the field, and that's where you kind of worry. But you know what? You take the challenge. You Kevin Paredes, you take the challenge to go to Wolfsburg. You George Bello, you take the challenge to go to the Bundesliga. Sink or swim. That's what it comes down to. So we'll see. Hopefully these uh, these young Americans can can swim and uh, continue to add to the list of successful Americans over there. Um, but I think that wraps it up. And I, I did t- obviously look. Concacaf the, things are getting tight, as I said. And pa- the Panama Mexico game, you're going to want to keep tabs on that one. No question about it. That's a, that's a huge one because all of a sudden um, Mexico's at home and can they afford to drop points again? If Panama, by some chance, beats Mexico, wow, thing. I mean, Tata's toast at that point. He's out. He's out. If they lose, he's out. He's out, and all of a sudden, the U.S. are facing Mexico with a new coach in charge. But, obviously, you know what? It's not easy being Mexico in Mexico, so that's going to be an interesting one. And guess who is still lurking about? Costa Rica. Costa Rica is currently four points out of fourth. And you know, as much as it, it it was, they they and they just got a point in Mexico. That that's huge for them. That's huge for them. It keeps them in the conversation. It keeps them in range. If Panama stumbles, if Mexico stumbles, the pressure could you know, Costa Rica can put some pressure on. So they play Jamaica. They have to go to Jamaica, and yeah, it's not going to necessarily be easy. But if Costa Rica beats Jamaica in Jamaica, then they're feeling pretty good heading into March that they are in position to pounce um, because no matter what happens in the Mexico Panama game, if they, if Costa Rica wins, they you're talking at least at, at most, they're only two points behind Panama at most, only two points behind Panama. If Mexico were to lose and Costa Rica wins, they're only two points behind Mexico. So that's uh that is going to make for an interesting March and look Jamaica's out of it. El Salvador is out of it. Out of it. Honduras is out of it. You want to see how these teams continue to, to, to play, even though they're pretty much done. El Salvador, they're going to fight to the end. Hugo Perez has them in a great place. They're, they, they are not giving up. I can tell you that right now, but, um, it, it's going to be interesting, and Wednesday, the, the Wednesday results are really going to tell us a lot. And obviously, the U.S. has to get this win, no question about it. I think they will, but I want to see what Bert Halter does with that lineup, and I want to see how that lineup responds. And if we finally get a complete 90-minute performance from this U.S. team. But I think that's it. That's That wraps it up. I'm heading to Minnesota. Time to bundle up. And uh, I'll be back with uh, another episode after this Minnesota match. Uh, we'll see when I get it done, but I'll be reporting from Minnesota. So make sure you read SBISoccer.com as we preview U.S. Honduras. Um, and if you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to SBISoccer.com. We have different levels. We have $3 a month, $5 a month, $8 a month. For $8 a month, you get, my, you get everything that we have to offer, including all of my uh, writing uh, and eventually we will start having some video on there we have we're going to have some different things on there as well so please subscribe if you haven't yet but definitely uh, that's it for now um, thank you for listening as always I'm Ivis Galarza this is the SBI show <laughs>